Welcome to the Nothing in Particular show, where you sit down with a beer, cup of coffee, or a great glass of wine and have an entertaining discussion with your new besties, Breezy Weeks and Travis Cody. What will we talk about today? Nothing in particular, or whatever is top of mind. Welcome back to another episode of the Nothing in Particular podcast show. This is Breezy Weeks. This is Travis Content Cody. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you come with the content. <laughs> Yeah, Travis. So what do you think uh, we should chat about today? Well, you know, uh, I'm one of those weird, unusual people in society today in that I actually like to read stuff. Oh, yeah. I know. I actually heard you rustling the paper. I did not see. I Not only that, I'm like, listen, this, I got re yeah. real words on, on paper. Right. <laughs> it's like I, it's people who aren't into technology are called luddites uh, obviously i you know we're making a podcast so i'm not a luddite but is there a term for people who like the feel of real paper <laughs> uh, yeah um, there must be and not only that i'm gonna i'm gonna show how much of a geek that i am and that this particular magazine is called <laughs> it's called harper's harper's <laughs> has been around since like 1862 so that shows you wow that shows you um how refined my tastes are <laughs> yes <laughs> but shockingly in the middle yes. of harper's there was an article by martin scorsese of all people called il maestro about federico fellini do you know who federico fellini is i don't yeah only true cinephiles know who fellini is he's kind of considered the original OG auteur of film. He was doing stuff in the 50s and 60s that was just mind-blowing in terms of his camera work and his themes and character development and, and specifically his, his visuals. And so Scorsese and um, Lucas and Spielberg and all of those guys, Fellini was a guy that they essentially worshipped as like the guy. Um, but now, like you said, you, you don't even know who he is. Like now people are just kind of like, eh, old movies, man. Um, but, uh, Scorsese said something here. I thought would be interesting to talk about. I'm going to, going to read what he said here. He said, so if you, if we, if we, he, he speaks in Fellini in super amazing, um, homage language, talking about how cinema used to be an event. And I don't know if, if it was this way when you were a kid, but when I was a kid, it, we, had, we had three channels on TV, uh, most of which turned off at about 11 o'clock. They went into like the colored bars. There was no programming between 11 and like 6 a.m. And the nearest movie theater was about 15 miles away. So yeah, going to a movie, <laughs> like you would do that as a kid, like we rarely went to the movie. Um, and once once I finally got a driver's license and could go over, like I, I would, you know, maybe a couple of times a month. So it was like a big deal. And nowadays people I, I talk to younger kids when I say younger, 25 and under where they almost feel annoyed that they have to go go out <laughs> to see to a, a film. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I get we, we have pretty big TVs now, but come, there's just something about seeing the movie on like you know huge screen especially if it's an imax do you remember that imax yeah. at universal studios like the one that was like 80 feet tall oh. screen 
I remember the first time I got to go to the Universal Studios on the Universal City Walk IMAX, and we went to go see the movie Big. What? <laughs> that, that ages me right there. So it was like the first time ever they had IMAX, and we went down, and I got to see Big on um, the movie Big with Tom that Hanks. movie. <laughs> that that movie screen that IMAX theater ruined me, ruined yeah. me. I I have <laughs> I have been to probably two dozen IMAX screens since then. And I, I almost get offended because I go in them and they're so small compared to that one that I'm like, what was this? This is just yeah. a big, this is an IMAX. So if you've never been to Universal Studios, go there, go to their IMAX. It, it's eight from from bottom to top. It's 80 feet tall. And from side to side, it's something ridiculous, like uh, 120 feet. It's just it's massive. Now, I'm um, sure when I went back in what? Well, when was the one was big movie like 90s, 80s? Yeah, late I remember. 80s. I mean, I'm sure the IMAX has improved <laughs> greatly, but there was like the first time that IMAX came out as IMAX. It was like the first time a movie had really been out. And that was like where we went down to go see it. So, yeah, now, I mean, they're spectacular, but um, and we actually have a few out here in Utah that are pretty decent, like pretty huge. Uh, I don't know the like measurements <laughs> like you, you do, but we went and saw um, like the end game on a, a big IMAX, which we just we, certain movies that are like really ah, special. Yeah, you, you got to go. You, just, you, you know, have to, I saw all three the Lord of the Rings movies on the IMAX at Universal Studios. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I. And the the I saw so I, I'm also geeky enough where when I hear about directors where they talk about like oh you know specific sequences of this film was shot specifically for IMAX so um, Christopher Nolan did the space movie with Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar mm -hmm. yeah and and a huge chunk of that movie was shot on IMAX and yeah it makes a difference and I have to say I didn't. James Cameron, when he did Avatar, he he said the same thing. He said, I shot Avatar entirely on IMAX. It was meant to be seen on IMAX. Okay. Cause and I went and and so I'm like, okay, I, I really respect filmmakers. I'm like, okay, James Cameron says this was meant to be seen. I'm gonna go see his movie how he as he designed it to be seen. And I saw it and I was like, wow, that was really good. And then I snuck into a normal theater when I was done because I'm like, come on, it can't make that big of a difference. Man, yeah. on did. a normal regular screen, Avatar was awful. On IMAX, it was amazing. It was mind wow. blowing. Okay. And so you don't think it would 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 make that much of a difference. So, so anyway, with 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 that context of like going to the movies used to be used to be this special thing. Here's what uh, Martin Scorsese says. Uh, in present day, the art of cinema is being systematically devalued, signed, line, demeaned, and reduced to its lowest common denominator content. As recently as 15 years ago, the term content was heard only when people were discussing the cinema on a serious level, and it was contrasted with and measured against form. Then gradually, it was used more and more by people who took over media companies, most of whom knew nothing about the history of the art form or even cared enough to think that they should. Content became a business term for any moving image. Uh, a David Lean movie, a cat video, a Super Bowl commercial, a superhero sequel, <laughs> a TV series episode. It was just content. And right. it was linked not to the theatrical experience, but to home viewing on streaming platforms that have come to overtake the movie going experience, just as Amazon overtook physical stories. 
On one hand, this has been good for filmmakers, myself included. On the other hand, has created a situation in which everything is presented to the viewer on a level playing field, which sounds democratic, but it isn't. If fewer, further viewing is suggested by algorithms based on what you've already seen, and the suggestions are based only on the subject of matter or genre, then what does that have to do with the art of cinema? Curating used to be an art. Today, curating isn't undemocratic or elitist, a term that is now used so often it's become meaningless. It's an act of generosity. You're sharing what you love and what has inspired you. Right. So yeah. algorithms by definition are based on calculations that treat the viewer as a consumer and nothing else. So what do you think about that? I know that's, that's a lot to think. Um, yeah, like when you're saying about with content, it's like with with all types of uh, entertainment and media, it's always about more content, more content, more content. You know, the more the better is what they make it sound like. Yeah, it's you not know, it's about always quantity. Like it's about quali uh, quality. It's about quantity. Right. It's yeah. quantity now than, than quality. In the influencer space, I mean, it's even content. And when they say content, they're like, oh, you be got to be content machine. You just got to publish stuff. You got, well, I don't even know what I, I need to say. I, I need to put some thought into what I'm saying. No, just put out the videos. It doesn't matter if they're crappy. It doesn't matter. YouTube doesn't matter right. if they're crappy. Just content. You got to put out content. Right. Yeah. So I kind yep. of, uh, and, you, I, and I think that's, so when I first moved to LA, uh, Universal Studios was one of my favorite places to go because they had that ginormous, it was like 18 or 20 movie screen theater. And this was before they had fully integrated showtimes online. So when you went to a movie, you, you would, you, you know, you had to stand to look at the marquee and look at all of the movies. And I can remember when I first went there, I, sometimes I would stand outside for 30 minutes trying to figure out which movie I wanted to go see, not because I was indecisive, but because everything sounded good. And right yeah. before I left L.A., I went up there with my wife and we stood out there for about 30 minutes and we ended up not going to see anything because nothing sounded good. Right. You know, and that was just like an 18 year difference. At 18 years, I went like, man, there's 20 movies and all of them sound good, too. There's 20 movies and they all sound like crap. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> I know what you're saying. So I was so I started start thinking about that. and I was like, OK, well, so how much content is actually being created? In 2019, Netflix produced 2,700 hours of original programming that's found nowhere else. And in 2020, that number went up to about 3,800. So to put that in, that's original content that's only on Netflix that can be found nowhere else. So to put that in the context, let's see here. I'm going to pull up my calculator, do 3,800 divided by 365 days. If you watched 10 and a half hours of Netflix per day, it would take you an entire year, all 365 days of the year with no days off to consume everything that they created just in one year. And they're going wow. to do that more than that this year and more than that the year after. Wow. Is that conducive to quality? Yeah, exactly. I, and well, it just, I guess it depends. Like, I mean, how many genres are there? Like you were talking about with the genres. It's like, I think there's definitely more genres that are popular than others. So um, how many are they? I, I wonder too, like how many are they putting out per genre, you know, and, and why, like, is that necessary? Um, you know, I mean, I'm looking at like 
I was looking up on the my computer like what what shows had come out just to kind of remember but I I was not even watching ones that are released 2020 I was like catching up on 2019 shows last year you know when during COVID like shut down and nothing else better to do I was like okay let me finally sit down and catch up on some stuff but not all of it was current you know not all of it was 2020 um that had been just released so well, I, it's a part of me, like I almost get frustrated with the algorithm because I want to visit my little brother and I pulled up his Netflix and man, like all the stuff up and I was like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I can't even find it on my account when I come home. Like even right. when I search for it, it doesn't come up. It's like, what, what is this? Yeah. Like that's yep. probably my, the, the, my most challenging thing with Netflix is their, their way of sorting through content sucks. Because you can't yeah. like you can't just see like a big list of stuff. It's always these stupid little thumbnails. So I just pulled something up right here and it says so um, Netflix, when you do the search and you go down and there's little genre codes on the left, there's a hundred of those. But underneath those, there's categories and Netflix has 3000 unique categories. And under each of those categories, there's micro genres. And when you add all of those up, there's 76,000 micro genres of movies and TV shows. Wow. Like, how, yeah, could, I've how seen, do you ever find anything, guys? I've seen like on maybe TikTok or some kind of social media that there's like codes that you can type in on Netflix to get to those little sub genres that like you're saying, aren't usually easy to find. You know, and often, like you're saying, even a show that might be new um, that you're hearing about, like right now, there's one they're talking about with the Cecil Hotel um, in Hollywood that it's haunted. There's a whole like series or something uh, or episode. I'm not, not even sure, but I hear everyone talking about it. And it's like um, on all these articles and people are, you know, friends of mine are chatting on social media and it's not popping up when I go on to Netflix and I'm like, Am I looking in the wrong place? Am I I'm, am I forgetting? Is it not on Netflix? Is it something else? But it is. And I found an article and it was listed on there. So I had to screenshot it so I could remember the title. So I could go on Netflix and type it in, you know, and search it. It's like, well, this is a new release that everyone's chatting about. How come it's not featured for me? You know, like, um, so yeah, yeah but it, everyone has a different we we all have our separate accounts here at our house except like the kids have their a kid one because we don't want like adult content coming up on theirs and then um watching dave chappelle yeah we don't. <laughs> so, so they have a, their kid one and um same thing too though like you know you'll see some kids shows i'm like oh that looks really cool i haven't that doesn't come up on mine and then like um amelie since she's 12 she has a separate one that she can use with a, like a password because she likes to watch some anime but um but we some of it might be just a little too scary or someone for Knox because he's only 10 and then we are dallin and me we both have our own individual accounts and mine is password protected just in case we want to like really you know watch some adult movie but we don't want it to like change any of the algorithms Alan are like, i think we won't watch nine and a half weeks tonight i don't want the kids yeah. see that one <laughs> we we watch like you know i'm into some of the crime stuff and the there's been a lot of like serial killer like shows and just like you know i don't want them clicking into mom's account my, my wife has forgotten to sign into her account because i'll flip on my xbox go watch something and i suddenly get inundated with a whole bunch of bollywood suggestions <laughs> oh, I know that's annoying too. Like when someone else gets into your account, that's why I set up separate ones because 
All of oh, a we have like, separate yeah. ones, but this is funny. That's how I know when she's there. I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't order Shah Rukh Khan. Yeah. <laughs> if I use Dallin's, it would be a bunch of like rom-coms. And <laughs> that's like me. <laughs> Rom-com and um, I don't know. He he says I like a lot of like darker stuff than him. Uh, it's he, so he's more funny because like my, my channel is all rom-coms and sci-fi. And my wife's all like true crime and spiritual stuff. <laughs> how to catch it. How to catch a, a, a serial killer with like in-depth de detail, like uh, forensic stuff. And then like, you know, the lost teachings of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such a weird combo, right? Yeah, so yeah, so I, I know I agree with you. Like with this last, like for example, like this last year, 2020, um, I think also, you know, some of those companies, I mean, like you were mentioning, before we started recording our podcast, we were chatting about HBO Max. You got Amazon Prime. You got Hulu. Disney um, Plus. And they're Disney pretty Plus, much moving of all of their stuff over there. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it's so crazy. Have all it's like now everybody's fighting of like who? Oh, that's our uh, show. We can't can't have Netflix. Have we got to have our own? And it, what's what's I, I the irony of it is is there's like oh Netflix is going to break the cable cable TV and and it, it, it'll probably lessen cable TV by half. But, but then like you end up paying more money because you have to have Disney and Apple and HBO and Netflix, you end up paying more <laughs> at the end of the day. Right, exactly. And there's still nothing yeah. good to watch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like the other day I finally had, you know, on an average, um, I don't have a lot of time to sit down and watch a show or a movie. Um, considering this past year, though, I had a lot more extra time in 2020. <laughs> so Oddly. like I said, I yeah, oddly, you know, so we finally got to catch up on some some shows and movies. And um, I was like one of those people like Disney Plus came out. I was like, yeah, why the heck not? What else were we doing? You know, let's just have all medias for a little while, just to entertain ourselves, you know. So um, but even like like last night, I sat down for a minute. I was like, OK, uh, let's see. What, what can I finish watching? I just I just finished watching Handmaid's Tale, which was crazy. <laughs> And then um, I just couldn't really find anything that I was really into. Like I was browsing, there's so many. I went on to, you know, Amazon Prime. I went on to Hulu. I went on to all these different, and I was just like still left with like, what, what can I watch? You know, I know there's stuff out there, but like, it's just not being shown so to me. So here's the thing. So 3,700 hours of original content, 2020. Name me 10 shows that came out last year that were like, oh, that was a great show on just on Netflix. Yeah. All okay. right. So you, so you just named the one. I just, I'm already forgot what it was, whatever. Oh, the handmaid's tale. But that was, that was like a few seasons, right? That was so old. Been, okay, yeah. So yeah. That, was that like wasn't a seasons. new show last year. No, that was a new show. Um, New show. But Witcher, but, but Witcher came out in the fall of 2019, right? Didn't it come out in like December? So it wasn't even a yeah. 2020 show. All right. So I don't have that one. Um, well, there was, I didn't really... did, did, there was, was did Stranger Things come out in 2020? They had the third no, season. No, no. Okay, but see, even then, that's just three. It's three years old. All right. <clears throat> um, all right. Uh, the the Tiger King murder and the Tiger was that? Yeah, that came out. Everybody was all <laughs> okay. So um, there's one. There's one show we know. Um, that show I mentioned. Um, I think I mentioned the last uh, podcast we were chatting about Bridgerton, but that came oh, out like that tail end of like. Uh, 2020 because it it's like, two seasons uh queen the yeah. queen's gambit that's one i've heard of that was the original show this year right so yeah. crown i'm familiar with crown but that's been out for five years right it's not a new show. <laughs> uh or, um 
uh, George Clooney. Umbrella. <laughs> The Umbrella, Umbrella Academy, Academy, but that but that's three that seasons, was, right? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't and a new so show. So there was the there was the George Clooney movie, the uh, Midnight something. Um, uh, I saw that. Yeah. So that came out. <laughs> All right, there's two. There's two shows we know of. Twenty twenty out of thirty seven hundred hours, we've got twelve hours covered. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So this yeah. is what I'm saying. Like this is, <laughs> exactly. as a filmmaker too. I mean, if your show pops and gets hot and trends on Netflix, I mean that'll make your career. Like just look at the guys of Stranger Things. But that makes the differ. Like how, how do you make something even stand out when you're competing against thirty seven hundred hours of, of of content? Like how? Yeah. What I, you know, what's how do they how do they determine that? That's just it's madness to me. Yeah, I know. I mean, as an actor and as a writer and as a, uh, you know, like Scorsese was saying, as a director, I mean, my goodness, what, uh, this is the most phenomenal time in the, in history to be alive if you want to be in, uh, you know, a a film actor. But man, it's, the quality is, um, I, so I saw something that I thought was very, telling and I'll, and I'll I think the story fits now because it's a story from George Lucas and he was one of the guys that was came up in that you know the, that time period and there there recently was released a book and it was behind the scenes of making of the return of the Jedi and oh, here we go here we go again <laughs> well so this is what i thought was interesting so george lucas uh, when when they would do creative meetings like him and the writers they would sit down in a room and they they would actually record the sessions so in case they had good ideas they could use them right right, right. so they transcribed some of the create creative creative meetings that they had and and this is kind of how it went they were it would they were talking about the first scene of the movie where luke skywalker is about to get pushed off the little speeder into the Pit, whatever it was, him and Han, Han Solo. And so the writer was like, oh, man, it would be useful if, if uh, Luke had his, his lightsaber, but he lost that in the first movie. And then and, and so they were trying to figure out how do they get Luke's lightsaber back? And then the guy was like, oh, well, um, R2-D2 will have it. Well, where did he get it? And then George Lewis comes in. He's like, well, it'll, it's a different color. It's not going to be blue. And it's a different lightsaber because Luke had to make a new one. And, and then the writers were like, well, what do you mean they had to make a new one? Why doesn't he just get the old one? And then George Lucas says, well, look, the lightsaber, the blue lightsaber from the first movie and the second movie was symbolic. Obi-Wan Kenobi got that lightsaber from Anakin after he cut off Anakin's hand and Anakin fell in the in the the volcano. So first and foremost, the fact that Lucas already had the backstory before like what this is 30 years before he started making the or 20 years before he started making those movies was pretty amazing. But then he said, so when Obi-Wan gives Luke this lightsaber, he's carrying his father's sword. The lightsaber represents Luke's attachment to his father and he's literally carrying the torch of his father he's a child carrying and he wants to be connected to his father and so and the empire strikes back when he meets vader what does vader do vader cuts off his hand causing him to lose the lightsaber and 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 lucas says that's a metaphor darth vader is physically severing his relationship with his son Oh, man. He could have easily just as killed Luke because we saw him in two movies. Luke Vader could just force choke people to death. He doesn't do that with his son. 
He's toying with him. He's messing with him because he's trying to, to corrupt him. And when he want, doesn't want to do it, the way he toys with him is he cuts off his hand. So now there's this metaphor of Darth Vader has severed his relationship with his son. And, and the way Luke escapes is he basically jumps off to what he could all, all intents and purposes is death. Now, now Lucas goes on and he said, so in Return of the Jedi, he's like, we don't have the time to show it, but there, I do have a story where Luke Skywalker rebuilds his lightsaber. Why? Well, to rebuild a lightsaber, you have to lightsaber, you have to be very, very skilled in the force. So we don't have time to show it, but when light, Luke Skywalker shows back up now, He's going to have his own lightsaber that he built. He's no longer carrying his father's burden. He's his own man now. He's no longer a child. He's a man, every bit of an equal as his father. Yeah. And I just thought about that and was like, my God, none <laughs> of that is on the screen at all. But, but that whole story is there. It's but the whole there. story is there. And we wonder why 45 years later, people are like, oh, my God, the, the story of Luke, Luke Skywalker, you know, being nothing to getting beat up to almost dying to coming back and being uh, equal, not only an equal, but being more powerful than his father, because he turns the dark side down and defeats the emperor. And I just and I was thinking about that going, you know, the, obviously we want we'll, the comparison is comparing that to these, the, you know, episode seven, eight, nine. And there, there's none of that. There's no for all intents and purposes. Finn Finn has the most backstory out of anybody, which is I used to be a stormtrooper. But like I sit there going, do you think there was a time where J.J. Abrams was like, OK, well. You know, Finn used to be a, 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 a stormtrooper, but if it was George Lucas, George Lucas would have an entire backstory mapped out about how Finn became a light, a, a stormtrooper, what his life like a stormtrooper was and how how what led him to become uh, turning away from being a stormtrooper and going on the run. And because of that, you would have got that sense of heaviness with Finn that ends up not being there because all the, the the only thing they thought through was like, oh, he used to be a stormtrooper. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, and then like Ray, like what 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 do we get with Ray? Like, oh, Ray, you, you have no parents. Your parents were nobodies. They were nothing. You have no history. You have no attachment to anyone. You just are. Well, no one can relate with that. No one can relate with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just like, you know, again, content. What was how did Disney look at how how did Kathleen Kennedy look at Star Wars money machine? You're a consumer. Just just buy our stuff. Go to our theme park. Buy our toys. Because why Star Wars? I think it's it's based off of like when you have someone who writes writes a book with a story, um, you know, so you first write a book and then you come out later with a with a movie or a show perhaps about it the book is always so much more detailed than the movie is, you know, and oftentimes it, it crushes people who are fans of maybe that, that book series or something, because they know that every great content piece is not going to be able to get into a movie. And I feel like star Wars from the beginning was like more of writing an actual writing this, this, you know, the whole series of well, like as evidence. I mean, when <laughs> Disney bought star Wars, there was, 
25 video games that all had their own backstory. There was something like 130 different novels that all had their own. There was three different comic books, not to mention, yeah. you know, all the stuff that George Lucas was directly responsible for six movies and three TV shows. Yeah. And so, and yeah, there was. Like, oh, yeah, and I would I, say that I think that's the argument of why Game of Thrones, the first five seasons was so incredibly powerful is that HBO for the first time flipped that narrative on its head and said, why don't we take a thousand page book and just make 10 episodes out of it so we can get everything that's in the book in the movie. Right. And for yeah. the most part, like 95% of the stuff that's in the book is in the movie. And you can tell they're in this, the series and you can tell they're, they're they, I don't know if you watched it, but it's fantastic. Until yeah. season six, when they no longer had any books, then <laughs> it just went downhill. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, there's not very many that you can speak of like Star Wars that that began with this, like he's, you know, they sat down to write this and they wrote it out to go on forever almost, you know, like there was a whole, like you're saying, all this backstory, all this, all these details. And then now when people are writing scripts, it's more just like, okay, I'm just, I just need to write a story about what's happening right now in the story. And they're not even thinking about like, if there's going to be any continuation of it. And so then a continuation might want to happen because it's really popular. And then it's just, it's not as great because they weren't prepared for it. You know, they didn't have a backstory really. They only yeah, had it, was, it for it, that. <laughs> it was Star Wars in particular. And I'll keep beating the Star Wars horse well, to death because heaven knows there's plenty of people but it, in right. some ways it almost felt like they were just like yeah 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 we got to get rid of luke and han and leia and so we can go to our own thing just get rid of them here yeah oh they're in the movie what does it have to do with anything nothing but they're in the movie <laughs> content buyer stuff yeah. why luke okay bye yeah, luke's done we gave you luke now go away and buy our new stuff <laughs> and like what we were talking about prior, the prior podcast is like, you know, there wasn't a lot of loss when it came to like with Poe and Ray and Finn and, you know, and, and Kylo Ren and like Kylo but, Ren sacrifices himself for what's her face. And you're like, who cares? Yeah. They, and? and they, they killed all the older yep. cast off. It's like, what? Like why kill everyone that's older off? And then now we're left with, you know, the, the, the newer people who don't have much of a backstory like Game. you said so like where are we going now um so, yeah, yeah so, so i wonder it, like when are we gonna like where, where's the breaking point where we get now again i'm not saying that it's you know i'm not there are great shows that are coming out of this I mean, from from a, from a diversity standpoint fantastic i mean we're the the challenge before was hollywood had to make a profit and so they couldn't take a big gamble. I mean, George Lucas even faced this. He did the Red Tails movie, which was a true story about the black um, fighter pilots in World War II. Had every, I mean, the, the, the had pretty much every major well-known black actor in Hollywood in the film. George Lucas produced it and wrote it. And then it came out and it flopped. I mean, it tanked, lost tens of millions of dollars. And George Lucas even went out and said, I kind of regret that I made this movie because I feel like this did more damage to there being more films like this than not, because it just proves the stereotype that like, well, nobody wants to see a black story. And again, this is 10 years ago. So the flip side of this is with Netflix creating so much content, Netflix is, is generating so much profit and money anyway, that now they can 
they that whole fear that a lot of the money guys would come in with going well we got to it's got to tick all these boxes to, and that guarantees that we'll probably not lose money that's out the window now so on one hand you can make take way bigger swings for the fence because now you can do really sort of progressive daring um you know maybe even controversial topics because you're not having to worry about oh is this going to break even it's already right. bro bro broken even it's already fully paid for so that is great but how many gems are coming how, you know how many classics like you go to the 80s and how many classic movies are there even in the last 12 15 years how many classic movies have there really been right not yeah. not not many not many mm -hmm. you know and I, I guess it's the old adage you know it's um uh what is it uh you, in, a, in a field full of uh, cow manure you know you can still find a gem <laughs> now that, you know marvel's been doing pretty pretty well and then now we have discussed which is probably a whole other episode because there's so many easter eggs but that new show wandavision that show's um, been nuts <laughs> and that's like we, we'll really have to talk about that with a lot of the different easter eggs because there is i mean i'm looking daily I, i'm i'll go on tiktok tiktok's like super good for like <laughs> tiktok it, for easter eggs seriously there's what? so many people yeah that's they're posting funny. a lot of easter eggs um but we're all caught up you know not gonna and, and buy stuff. that chinese propaganda tiktok's them all <laughs> it's spying on you and sending all your data to ccp oh god <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah. i just can't wait to get my microchip installed i'm i'm anticipating well, once you get your vaccine there you go i know I'm along with some excited. dead babies <laughs> i should probably edit that part out yeah. I we'll edit that. the dead babies i'm part. not i'm not it's new way i <sighs> All right, I have to do disclaimers but, on our episode. Everything's a joke to Travis. Everything, even the most horrific stuff, I will try to make funny, which is, uh, you know, I, I, from a logical standpoint, I understand that's not the necessarily appropriate thing to do. And that's how I deal with trauma. I make fun of everything. Moving on. So, um, yeah, with the Marvel. With, with Marvel, here's the difference though with Marvel is that Marvel has. 80 years of content. They have 80 years of storylines to pull so from. They have much. so much. And it's, so it's, much. Again, going back to Star Wars, because I'm going to keep beating this dead horse with the stick. They come in <laughs> and they, so have, they have 40 years of content. And Kathleen Kennedy's like, nope, we're going to throw it all away. And then she has the goal 10 years later to go, oh, well, this thing that's so hard with Star Wars is we don't have the novels and we don't have the comic books and we don't have the video games. And everyone's like, you have 150 books. Yeah. But I think exactly. that's part of it. But the thing that I've that's been amazing with with Marvel is watching how they're taking 80 years of content and weaving it together in a way that fits in a modern time frame. That's what's been amazing to watch for me. It's mind blowing how they can weave all those things into the stories now. I, I mean, I, I, I'm mind blown every time I'll watch like like especially the WandaVision show, and there's so many little clues and things from the past and past comic books that I'm learning about and not had no idea. And then I mean, it's just like and half the time you have to watch the Easter eggs just so they can explain it, and you go, oh. Oh, well, now I understand what's going on. And half the time they're bringing up, oh, well, in this comic book from 1973, you're like, how would I know this? <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Yeah. But you have to have a translator to understand what WandaVision is. I mean, it's entertaining because you keep popping back to the real world going, I know stuff's happening and I know these characters, but uh, eventually it's all going to make sense. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I know. It's like you're anticipating what's going to be happening and how this, how, what else they're going to start weaving into into the story Disney plus and them re- refusing to release their shows all at once and making it sit every week dang you i like it i like it it's kind of like no we i were... like to watch it all in one day and be like yes <laughs> see this kind of brings us back to like you know what we grew up with you know we grew up with having to wait we had to wait every Cursed week for our show yeah like the end of the season <laughs> oh dun 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 no see you in six months you bastards <laughs> Well, when we first started watching WandaVision, we did like, you know, first watch it like when it was coming out. And I mean, the first if anyone's going to go watch that before we will discuss it another time. But you you have to just be patient because the first two episodes are just really, really bizarre and you could be left very lost. I mean, we were like our mouths. Yeah, our mouths were dropped open standpoint. The fact that they're shooting stuff to look like the actual oh, show genius. like oh this was an actual leave it to beaver episode and it looks just like it like creativity wise that was amazing yeah. to see how they the sets every time you see a new set me and Dallin try to we try to see who guesses it first you know we're like oh that's the set from such and such you know um because they they reenact. i like, still wish I mean, they, they would have done like a full house thing they should that's they, there was a missed opportunity on their part to not have a full, a full full house <laughs> yeah um but yeah so so you definitely have to like i had a a good friend of mine who like loves a lot of marvel stuff but she was like oh my gosh i was anticipating that show because she loves like old vintage shows like i love lucy and you know all those like um bewitch and stuff and so she was really interested in those black and white um episodes at first and then she's like and then i was just like what am i watching this is like so weird what's happening and she stopped watching after only the first episode and i I was like no 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 you gotta keep going i know what you're thinking it's really bizarre you're not sure what's happening but by the third episode your mind's just gonna get blown and then from then that point on fourth episode they tie it all together and you go oh wow yeah and then i heard the last three episodes now are gonna be one hour long what episodes yeah did you hear that no Yeah. yeah that's what i heard that's crazy well, so. I know that Kevin Feige, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right. You'd think after 20 years in Hollywood, Sounds I'd know familiar. his name. Yeah. I know it could be Fig, Feig, Feige. I've heard all yeah. of them. Kevin, right. uh, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I understand my, my legal last name is, is gets pronounced wrong all the time. Um, I'm just going yeah, somewhere does. with that. <laughs> Kevin uh, Feige talked about Falcon and winter soldier and said that originally that was designed as a series of movies i think it was going to be a trilogy and then when disney plus came out they asked him to change it and he said instead of changing the concept they actually still just shot the thing like one movie and then they broke it up into smaller episodes Hmm, okay so the season is basically one long like four and a half hour movie and then there's the loki uh, I don't know what series. to think about that one. Yeah, I'm not sure either, but I'm hoping it's good because I've always been a fan of Loki. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you okay. and the bad boys. 
what can I say? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm always like this with, with actors. Sometimes when you see an actor in a role and they look really good as that character, like, uh, you know, Hilston as Loki, you're like, why don't you just always look like that? Like, why? <laughs> if it looks good, why don't it just like look like that all the time? I just don't get it. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure it's like a wig or some hair extensions in his hair. He doesn't have hair that long. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately. So, unfortunately, yeah. Taylor Swift made him cut it off. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's an old joke that no one's going to get. <clears throat> That's That was a... That was an interesting relationship. <laughs> Team Taylor. Yeah. I was, I'm going to yeah. see and I'm going to start a theory and say that actually that was Loki and he fell in love with Taylor Swift and then she broke his heart and that actually created, he got so mad that actually created the multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Team Taylor calls, <laughs> caused the fabric of reality to splinter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's my dog barking. Show mascot. I'm so glad that your dog barked so that that way, if people can actually hear my cat when she was meowing, that we, uh, it's balanced now. <laughs> we got cat meow. We got dog barking, you know. So do you feel that given the amount of content that is coming out and the access that people have, and I, and I, I'm going to say it, I think certain people, when you and I were coming up, you had to pay your dues before you earned the rights to make a movie, to write a movie. Or, you know, you it was a fight. And I feel like a lot of filmmakers now, they kind of get in and they're like, hey, you can just go write this movie now. And they've never written anything. They've never studied the art of screenwriting. They've never studied dramatic structure. Their whole thing is like, well, I know how to uh, light a camera, and therefore, and I and I've seen enough movies. Like, I know I know how to I know how to write. And so there's this entitlement that anyone can write a screenplay. And and I'm going to say, uh, to some degree, with a lot of directors, an arrogance. And thinking that they can write a screenplay just as good as an established, experienced screenwriter. So do you think that that is at play in terms of the quality because they don't understand what quality is? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, possibly, yeah. There, I mean, there's definitely you know, the screenwriting or acting or any of these different things, when, when someone really studies that art, often they are going to be better at the, at the details of it, the fine details. I mean, not to say that you can't go write a screenplay and maybe, you know, it'll pick up temporarily, but will you become that? that well, I think uh, that's what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah. Know. I think you're seeing these, so these movies that are, um, they're so full of holes and logic gaps and, uh, you know, <coughs> Star Wars um, yeah. <laughs> that don't make any sense. And then when yeah. people criticize the fact that the story structure is crap, they attack, get tacked on media is like, oh, that's because those guys are sexist and racist. That's why they didn't No, It was because you don't have an understanding of story. I think one of the reasons why the scripted series are turning out such better content is because there is still gatekeepers and there's still very much a process. And most people don't know this. And so I'll share it briefly, but anybody can write a screenplay. And if you can raise money, you can get your movie made. 
<clears throat> that's or you know somebody you can get your movie made tv is not that way you can't if you can't write a tv series and then just go have somebody pick it up and in fact nobody's going to even listen to you you need a showrunner so the way it works in the television world is you start as essentially a production assistant fetching coffee for the writers and you can kind of go in and out of the writer's room the writer's room is a big deal and and you have to earn the right to be there and if you can suffer through the humiliation of shopping coffee coffee and being a gopher for a year or two, eventually you can get into the writer's room as a on-staff junior writer. And you're basically expected to kind of, you know, not rock the boat. You listen. They, a lot of times you're going to get assigned things to write. People or other people are going to take credit for it. It's just the way it works. Mm -hmm. But eventually you're going to have written enough where they're going to make you part of the writer's team and you're going to be a main writer and you're going to contribute to a lot of the stories. And now this whole time, this is where this is a year long, you know, years long process. And if you're really sharp and you have really great ideas, you can start pitching ideas. And if they're really good, the executive producer is who's the head writer. He'll take your idea and he'll go and pitch it somewhere. And, and, and if it gets sold, they'll be listed as the creator, but you will become the head writer on that show. And eventually you'll become the executive producer and you'll be the showrunner running that show. But to get to that point, that's like a eight to 10 year process. Yeah. So you have an entire decade of five days a week, 10 to 12 hours of just writing, 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 being around writing, being around people who are experienced with writing, getting your scripts torn up because on TV, like in the writer's room, you're with 10 or 15 other writers like they're not going to let that fly. You have a you have a logic gap in your script. They're going to tear you to pieces. And so I kind of look at the last 10 years and most of the great stuff that has come out has been scripted series it has been TV. And I wonder if that's because of the fact that they still have sort of a, a proving ground. And it's, it's kind of going back to the olden days, you know, you had the master who had a journeyman who then worked with apprentices and you had to be an apprentice so long. And then you became a journeyman, i.e. on a staff writer, and you would work with other apprentices. And eventually, if you did that well enough, you would become the master and you would have apprentices of your own, i.e. a showrunner. And that's not, you don't find that in the film world. There isn't sort of the, the vetting process and the pay your dues that there used to be. Right. Yeah. And then, like you're saying, or you do the quick way, you write a script or a, a series and then you uh, pitch it to Netflix or Hulu or, or whatever and see if they, uh, they want to pick it up instantaneously. Yeah. You know? But the thing is, is they won't because <clears throat> even Netflix, um, they require you to, if you have a TV show, you have to have a production company already attached to it. So I'm not saying that's impossible. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're related to somebody or you know someone and the idea is really good, but if a company has to deal with Netflix, they're not going to pitch something that isn't up to speed. So right. even then, there is still a tiny bit of a, a vetting process. And, you know, if I happen to know Brad Pitt and I have a script that's just okay and Brad Pitt's bored and he's like, no, I'll do your movie. Okay, well, I can get my screenplay. I can get a very mediocre screenplay made just because I know somebody and there isn't any vetting process. And, and worse, I'm going to be convinced that I'm a screenwriter and I know what I'm doing because, see, Brad Pitt was in my movie and it got made. Therefore, you have to listen to me, even though my ideas may be totally not great. Right. You know, who would have thought, I mean, maybe five years ago, how Netflix would have turned out to be, you know, um, 
I remember I, even I, I, early as like 2008-2010, people were saying, ah, that digital online streaming is never going to take off. Never. It's never going to go anywhere. Right. Netflix is a joke. Yeah. Um, you know, years ago when we were trying to pitch our our comic like cartoon idea, it started as a comic kind of. And um, we we've me and you have talked about this privately before, and I've mentioned it to some of my like people on social media. So we have me and Dallin had this cartoon idea and we still do. And I still want to do something with it. But we went and we pitched it. We actually had appointments and got to go to actual Nickelodeon Cartoon Network. And then um, I think at the time there was another one I'm trying to remember. But um, we we were also friends with the the people who produced Yo Gabba Gabba. And there was a network that they were uh, working with at the time that maybe collaborated now or combined with another one. I can't think of it at the top of my head. But um so we had some big interviews with and we I mean it was it was fun. Like if you're into like I don't know, I'm kind of like a kid at heart and having kids with watching cartoons and stuff and getting to go to like Nickelodeon headquarters was like a blast. Get to going to like Cartoon Network was really, really cool. But you know who was really interested at the time they mentioned Netflix and they said, what if we just you know, skip all that and then just uh, put it out as a Netflix series, cartoon series. And at the time, I think that four or five years ago, we were like, what? No, like, it's just going to get swept under the rug, you know, like, who's going to find it on Netflix, <laughs> you know, and now here, Netflix is like the place to go, apparently. I, you know, so back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, to some extent, the 60s, you had the studio system. You were a director and you would get hired by Warner Brothers and they put you on contract. They paid you, you know, whatever per month. Um, Jimmy Stewart, most of his movies, he was he was getting paid, you know, 15, uh, like when he first started, he was getting paid like 50 bucks a week. And he would literally, he would show up on set on Monday. Hey, we need you over there. And he would just go over there. They would give him some lines. He would be there for four or five days. Come the next Monday. Hey, we need you over here. He was in the next movie. And... Um, Lou Wasserman broke that. Uh, Lou Wasserman created MG, uh, MCA uh, agency and then eventually became the head of one of the studios. And he broke that. He is the first one to, to break the sort of the, the, the studio, the, the contract player thing. And for most actors and directors, it was heralded as this amazing thing because they were no longer essentially hostage they weren't just a, 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 an employee doing whatever they had. They now they had ability to go out. And in some ways, I think it's made it more competitive for actors. My prediction is that we're actually going to see a return to the studio system model. I think that it, Netflix specifically, and I bet you'll see HBO, Warner Brothers do this to an extent, is that they'll go to, and you're, you're already seeing this, where they're signing huge deals, right? Netflix with, with Adam Sandler paid him this last uh, last year $250 million for four movies. I, I think you're going to start seeing that. You're going you're to get somebody like Ryan Murphy, and Netflix is going to come and say, hey, we're going to pay you this huge chunk of money, and you have to be exclusive to us. And so what's going to happen is now it's going to take that talent off of it's, it's like professional sports. Hmm. You got yeah. the A players and now they're, you know, if they're not playing for your team, you can't access their content. That's an exist, exist, existential <laughs> crisis for a lot of play. Cause if you're universal studios 
and you can no longer get Brad Pitt because he's exclusive with Netflix. Everyone who likes Brad Pitt movies now, they're only they're going to go to Netflix. Right. So I think we're going to see a return to the contract system. I think even yeah. with actors, I think a lot of there you're going to see some smart manager who's going to come along and come along with somebody like Netflix and be like, hey, my actor wants to cut a deal with you. You know, you put them on salary at $100,000 a week and they'll they'll just be in whatever you want them to be in. Yeah. I mean, and they, from some yeah. standpoint as an actor, I would be like, dude, I, to, I'm working all the time and I'm getting a hundred grand a week. Like sign me up. I don't care what you tell me to do. Just I'll point me. I, I, I think that's the way it kind of works in, in Bollywood. And I think that's one of the reasons why Shah Rukh Khan has made so many movies. Uh, there was an interview where he said that working in Bollywood was vastly different than Hollywood because in Bollywood, you pretty much showed up on set around eight and you work from like nine to five pretty much. And then it's at five o'clock you were done. It was like going to the office. Wow. Okay. And, and, yeah. and imagine trying to do that in Hollywood, you know? And so anyway, I'm mm -hmm. kind of rambling there, yeah. but thoughts. No, it's true. I mean, cause they used to do that back in the old days. I mean, they were, I don't know the top of my head, but I know, you know, I'm, I'm really into old classic films like Turner classic films and stuff like that um, channel. <laughs> and so a lot of those actors originally back in the old days did that. They were owned by specific studios that just had that actor and they would only act in their particular films for that studio. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, we could always bring on, I have a cousin of mine who's an agent and a manager and he has a couple, some good clients and, and see what, uh, right. what his thoughts are on that because pick his brain. Be curious. Yeah, yeah. Pick his brain. <laughs> well, all right. So quality over quantity, unless you're an actor or Nick, uh, Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, for... Nick. I'm sorry. I love, I love Nicholas Cage. I think he's amazing. And I think the fact that people gave him flack because he started working a lot, it's total BS. Which, uh, have you watched that um the swear words no i haven't i just saw that yeah <laughs> you have to watch it i started watching he was, it. was the perfect funny. host for that he he's great it's it's nicholas cage i mean he he looks great too he like as far as aging and like, aging well he yeah. looks good so yeah. yeah all right well i'm travis cody i'm breezy weeks and until next time go about thinking about nothing in particular